Hello, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 1 of Relay SA, a connected conversation about student affairs in Canada. The basic premise is that each person we interview gets to suggest names of who we should interview next, passing the baton along in the relay. So that's the relay part. The SA stands for Student Affairs, Relay SA. Last season, I tried something I called the podcast challenge. I was trying to get folks to send me recordings of what they would talk about if they had their own podcast. A few folks responded over Twitter and in conversations, but no one took me up on the offer to submit a voice note. That's all right. The goal was to see if anyone out there wanted to start their own podcast, and I know that there are some of you out there. My suggestion is just to start. If you need any tips, please let me know. I'd be happy to offer any info that I have learned from slapping this one together. And lastly, before we get to our interview, I have an announcement to make, and one that I will share in the sixth and final episode of this season. Relay SA is getting a co-host. That's right. In season four, we are going to bring some new energy, some new ideas, and new perspectives with a co-host. We're still figuring out what it's going to look like. We might interview separately. We might tag team some interviews. Who knows? What I can tell you is that we have big ideas and can't wait to share them with you. So episode six is actually an interview with the new Relay SA co-host. So stay tuned for that. So let's get right to this episode's interview. In this episode, we had the chance to sit down with Trisha Seifert. Tim Frecker nominated Trisha, and I was so lucky that we were able to grab a few minutes to chat at the caucus conference in Ottawa. We had an amazing conversation, so let's waste no time and get right to it. Enjoy. Adam Dewin, what are you doing? Who will you talk to today? It's Relay SA. My name's Trisha Seifert. Okay, and you have been nominated by Tim Fricker in the relay. So we interviewed Tim and he gave us a few names and you were amongst the folks that he suggested. Mm. And where are we currently located? Let's get let's paint a picture. Oh my gosh. Well, we have perhaps arguably the best up in the air view of Parliament. We're in Shaw Center on the third floor in Ottawa, Canada's capital. And I literally am looking straight at Parliament Hall. Amazing. <laughs> and we've got a little ambient noise. We've got some music in the background, so hopefully folks can still hear it. But I'm so happy to talk with you. I'm happy to be here. Because I've known you for several years, yeah. but I don't know a lot about your your background before I met you at OISE. Oh, yeah. You know, I think this is the funniest thing is we often don't share our own histories and stories and so students often think that we are like the most put together people right and that like we were just we just appeared in this position and it has been this like totally clear linear path and and, um that has actually never been my experience and that's (laughs) not my personal experience either um how far back do you want to go well where were you born I was born in Delta, Ohio, which is this small rural town outside of Toledo, not far from Detroit. And so I joke when I moved to Canada that it wasn't new to watch hockey. I'd been watching Hockey Night in Canada from CBC Channel 9 out of Windsor from the time, well, when Wayne Gretzky was all the rage. I was was an Oiler fan, (laughs) like every teenager (laughs) in that time frame. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah. And then, so I guess we can skip a few years, but what, where did you do your undergrad? I did my undergrad in sociology and political science at Illinois Wesleyan University. It's a small, um, like, 
1600 student at when I was there, um, religiously affiliated Methodist college that had very little still like strong religious tradition. I started as a theater major and I lasted all of two months. And then I realized I didn't have a lot of talent (laughs) and that I should find something else. And so then what was that something? The sociology? It was sociology. Yeah. And um, so I went to graduate school. I applied to five grad programs in sociology and was thrilled to get accepted to one. Right. So then I was off to Ohio State University. And um, I don't know. I was doing really well. But I wanted to go back and work at this camp where I had worked for many summers. And my uh, PhD advisor said, well, we don't take summers off like that. Can you figure out a way to research the people you're working with? And I thought that was, <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? And yeah, long story short, I realized this is probably not for me right now. Right. And I packed up everything I owned and it had to fit in my car. And I moved to New Mexico with a summer job and marketable skills. And yeah. I just figured someone would hire me to do something. You went with that. There was no gig lined up. You no. Went, okay. I had a summer camp job and a car full of my entire life and positions. And hopes and dreams. And hopes and dreams. <laughs> and um, hope, vision, and action. Hope, vision, actually, and action. Actually, kind of coming off of the caucus keynote earlier today. And so... I applied for a job at a boarding school for kids with learning disabilities, and I was, I got that position, and that literally started me on this whole path of working in the idea of student services. I just didn't know it at the time, nor did I have the language for it. Right. And were you involved in things during your undergrad degree that also pointed you in that direction, or? Like, that's the ridiculous irony. So I worked for four years in the Office of Residence Life. I went to NASPA as an undergraduate student to interview uh, for our new Dean of Students position. I was the student body president. Like, I ran student government. I connected with all of the student affairs folks on our small campus on a regular basis and never clued in that this was a field, that this was a profession that these people had grown up adult jobs and I could maybe someday too. I think it's like <laughs> these circuitous routes though, like this, like our journeys are nonlinear, right? Like you might, your journey might start in New Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And so then you spent a little bit of time there and then was this before or after you had completed your? So this was straight out of undergrad. Okay. Um, I did my master's degree in college student services administration at Oregon State. Okay. And um, that was amazing because at the time I really wanted to be a dean of students. I liked the alliteration. I thought about being Dean Daly. That's my maiden name. Okay. Um, <laughs> I love that. And I, so I figured, well, if I want to be a dean of students in the U.S., you really need to understand fraternity and sorority life. Sure. And so my assistantship okay. was in fraternity and sorority life, and I was the. I was the faculty advisor, if you will, mm. to the Interfraternity Council. And I went to all their meetings and their disciplinary hearings and all of that sort of thing. Oh, and what did that teach you? 
what it taught me ultimately was just how important connecting with students and being real with them mm. is all the time and asking questions I remember I remember so vividly at the end of the year um, our our president wanted to to like go out somewhere and I was like so how will that feel for one of your exec members who's actually not of legal drinking age so how inclusive is this option for everyone to be able to celebrate a good year? Right. And, um, you know, like, it wasn't like he was malicious. He just hadn't thought of that question. Yeah. A and thoughtful, so, caring question. Yeah. Make all the difference. Yeah. Mm. And then, but during that, I realized that my interest in research, which is in many ways what drove me to sociology graduate school to begin with, came back up. Right. And so I did um, a minor, I think they called it, in assessment. Oh, cool. Yeah, so I took a bunch of assessment courses and realized, man, I really like research. And so I applied for my doctorate immediately following. And then um, went on to the University of Iowa and had the unbelievable fortune to work with great faculty, and mm. particularly Ernie Pascarella, who is extraordinarily known in the field. Yeah. And on top of it, maybe the nicest human being on the planet. Oh, that's so good to hear. Yeah, you have humble. These giants who are also humble, kind, caring, and from there um, uh, applied for faculty jobs and applied literally all over North America. Um, you have to cast a wide net, I think. You do to try to get something. Yeah, I mean, there's in any given year, there's not a whole lot of positions and so you cast a wide net and you apply to any place you could envision working and so I applied to the University of Toronto to OISE because it sounded so awesome Mm -hmm. but it was a little bit on a lark because at the bottom it says um, of course Canadians will be given preference and I didn't think I'd have a shot and so when they called to offer me an interview I was stunned but you could have knocked me over with a feather when they called to offer me the job. Wow. Yeah. Because that was going to be one of my questions, is what brought you to OISE and U of T? Because in a short period of time, you really rallied a lot, and mobilized a lot of people and thinkers, and I think it didn't take long. You were recognized with the Caucus Achievement Award. That was my, amazing. <laughs> and I was like, this is a huge difference and impact that you've had in a relatively short period of time. Mm-hmm. Did, is that something that you envisioned when you came in or were you kind of like I'm just gonna start teaching and doing some projects and I think what I envisioned when I first arrived my first caucus caucus was in 2009 Mm -hmm. at Laurier and I hadn't even started at OISE yet but I was told by Carney Strange who's been a great friend and mentor you know you should really come to caucus you got to build your Rolodex right he's old enough that you called them Rolodexes (laughs) (laughs) and I did. I collected a million cards, and I talked to a thousand people, and I just kept those connections. And um, when there was an opportunity to to start working on a research project, I just reached out to all those people that I met, had lunch with, danced with on the dance floor, right. um, and it's been tremendous. Hmm. And so, how long total were you at OISE? For five years. For fo- five years, and yeah. then the decision came to move. Back to the States. Yeah, that wasn't really, on some levels that wasn't really conscious. I wasn't actually seeking a job. I wasn't planning on leaving. Um, 
But I had been kind of in my mind keeping an eye on sort of the 13 higher ed programs near mountains in North America because I love mountains. My partner and I met in the mountains and for our entire married lives have been trying to get back to the mountains. And so downtown Toronto, as lovely as it is, um, doesn't have a lot of mountains. Yeah. And so this was kind of like a fluky dream opportunity that I felt like if I didn't at least apply, like just try, I would always question why I left myself out of the mix. Why I didn't at least put my hat in the ring, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And so um, then the really hard thing, actually agonizing, was to decide whether to go. And I wouldn't be lying to say that it was hundreds of hours of pros and cons sheets and oh it was tough but the great thing is as I still have a status appointment at OISE I still actually supervise students I still serve on students committees um, I'm still connected and and I feel like caucus is my professional home so uh, here I am it's pretty amazing it's pretty ma- and so and your, the program that you're working in sounds like it's also has some renown already, but then also has some opportunities to kind of really bolster it and kind of build it up in some ways too. So it's kind of like a good opportunity that you couldn't pass down. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty tremendous. I sort of joke that I have a foot on either side of the 49th parallel and that I hula hoop back and forth. <laughs> um, but right now I'm in a new position, so. I, I'm not actually teaching classes. I'm the department head. And our department includes our entire B.Ed. program. So all of our teacher preparation and then three graduate programs in curriculum and instruction, educational leadership, and adult and higher ed, which is honestly the only thing I know anything about. Right. (laughs) And it's just a small piece. So I've spent this entire year learning about K-12 schools. Other than attending them. I actually knew nothing about them. <laughs> they can be complex yeah. political spaces. Yeah. So as a hula hooper, I think yeah. you have a unique, perhaps, outlook on <laughs> um, the comparisons. Perhaps, I think, in Canadian student affairs, a lot of times we tend to compare ourselves to what's going on in the States. Um, and as we're a relatively young, emerging field here, I think, still. So is there any insights as a hula hooper who has kind of moved back and forth between about uh, maybe some insights on surprises or things you learned about Canadian student affairs that maybe surprised you? Well, I didn't actually, before moving to OIC, know anything about Canadian student affairs services. Nothing. I had to learn everything from the ground up. In fact, I think in part, I'm just now making this connection So when I moved to OISE, I had to learn everything about the field. And in this past year, I've had to learn everything about the field of K-12 schooling. Right. And I think I've been able to do that because I've done it before. Right. And I just now, literally just now, put that together. But what I've realized about Canadian Student Affairs and Services is a couple things. Students and their voices and their leadership are so valued and are mm-hmm. held to really more than paraprofessional levels. That 
they drive so much of what we do. And I think that's important and valuable and something, honestly, our American colleagues could really understand better. Mm. I was thinking about this morning and prepping for our conversation because I'm going to ask you some questions about how college affects students. But then I was also thinking about how students affect colleges. And I think that's, mm. I wonder if that is more, uh, more of a force on Canadian campuses with students kind of really driving and affect, being able to affect lots of different types of changes. Yeah, I think about, I was trying to mobilize our own um, undergraduate student body this past year by talking about the Maple Spring mm. and the power of students to literally push back on tuition increases. Right. Because we were talking about literally at one point a 22% tuition increase year over year. So imagine coming back this fall paying 22% more than you paid last fall. Oh, wow. And and I was I was incensed, but I couldn't understand why our students, some of them were motivated, some of them were doing something, but a lot of them seemed to feel or appear kind of like this is just what it is. And right. I was like, but it doesn't have to be. And I would right. give examples and they would kind of look at me like I had three heads. And I was like, there's a movement. Yeah. You can be part of it. I, I feel like um, in different ways, other campuses, un, not my own, are more politically active. The political situation in the U.S. right now is, of course, really complicated. And so the political movement is both on the right and on the ultra-right and on the left. Right. And, and so students are having enormous impact on campus every day right now and across trying, the borders. And trying to mobilize really powerful messages while also like trying to figure out where they stand on certain messages yeah. at the same time and trying to reconcile their own personal stances with these movements and yeah, it's complex times. Yeah. Mm. Um, and you've also, so you've moved to Montana, you've reconnected with the mountains, mm -hmm. taken on a new administrative role, and you've also been part of an enormous project for the last couple of years, which has just launched eight months ago. Now, when did it come out? Yeah, I think it was published in October of 2016. Yeah. Yeah, How College Affects Students, Volume 3. Volume 3. <laughs> um, so I think folks, we won't want to, no spoiler alerts, people can buy the book and read the book, or when it's made into a movie, they can see, <laughs> see that. <laughs> um, but what, tell me about the process of putting together this book. It's like a seminal document in the field, and you're taking on volume three with some other esteemed colleagues as well, and what was it like? It was scary. It, it literally kept me up at night. No, it didn't keep me up. It would wake me up on a really regular basis okay. for years. So it's in your body. It yeah, was... it was so embodied. <laughs> oh. um, because I had and harbored a lot of fear around being able to do it. It was mm. by far and away the greatest intellectual lift of my lifetime to date. Just mm. reading all of the research, making sense of it, synthesizing it, writing about it in a synthesis that is as understandable to a lay person, meaning right. like a trustee who is not steeped in higher education right. uh, literature and research necessarily, and certainly not in effect sizes and standard deviations, okay. how to make 
what is often complicated and obtuse research findings really um, understandable to multiple audiences right. in a way that doesn't diminish the complexity but doesn't dive into every single detail. That was a lot. It was, it was a lot. Um, what about the project are you most proud of? Other than perhaps completing it. Yeah, completing it and still and still living and still really good friends with all the co-authors. That's like an accomplishment. The fact that we're tighter now than we, I think, were even though we were good friends to begin with. Um, you know, I joked the summer that I was doing the copy edits. We were all copy editing the chapters that we contributed to. And uh, I was thinking about, my goodness, the summer of reading dangerously. Because for one of the chapters, I was reading in epidemiology journals and in other health journals and in economics and in sociology and in you know it was just reading way outside right. my normal sphere and it was so exciting I just I had more ideas more mm. research and what I came out of that summer thinking is I, I have a lot to say I have a lot going on in my head and I have a lot to say and how freeing it was to actually name that and claim that as opposed to wondering what do I have to say? Right. So are there other, perhaps, publications coming out as a result of some of that work, or is it...? Well, so off of How College Affects Students, we, we co-authored an article that came out in AERA Open. It's mm -hmm. an open access journal, and it's literally our 10 recommendations for doing college impact research. And I think we're really, we were psyched about publishing that so quickly after the book came out. Right. But two, that it's in an open access journal so that anyone, whether you have access to um, academic library or not, right. can download... Or a journal the, subscription. Exactly. Yeah. Can download and understand sort of what are the 10 recommendations for moving research in this field forward. Mm. Mm. Um, so that... First, congratulations on the book. It's amazing. Um, and then you also are still involved with the Blueprints for Success stuff. I didn't want to talk to you without bringing that up. So yeah. how is that going? Oh, my gosh. So the Supporting Student Success Project continues on. We now have arguably the one of the largest sort of data sets that connects student affairs and services practitioners' perspectives with faculty perspectives and with student information. And so I'm working on maybe a book project ultimately to really examine sort of the relationships between organizational structure and culture and student persistence mm. um, and, and that's moving forward that's exciting that's a whole nother that's going to be another lift okay. if you will um, and in the in the moment right now the blueprints for student success project um, I'm working with some game developers to create an interactive video game for high school students, primarily grade 12 students, to practice virtually <coughs> going to college, going to university, so that they're confronting, the, through their game player, the typical challenges mm. that first-year students experience, and that they can resolve those challenges or, and sometimes solve and sometimes fail to solve. Right. But in a virtual space where it's 
really safe to fail. I think like simulation learning is awesome. Yeah. You, you do get to test in a safe spot where you can um, try different things and different approaches and find what works for you. That's awesome. And so when when am, am I going to be able to down that, download that from the app store? <laughs> Play it on my phone? Yeah, well, we're hopeful to have a launchable beta version first on a website platform. Um, you know, honestly, in parts of Montana, um, y y there's not great 4G. It's a okay. really rural state. And so for many students, having something actually on the Internet where you can play on a, a hard line version um, is the most effective to begin with. And then we'll work to move it to a, an app platform. Oh, so cool. Um, well, I don't want to take up too much of your time, <laughs> but I have some kind of wrap-up questions. Um, but before I get to the wrap-up questions, are there part of this whole podcast endeavor has been trying to activate or start or start having more of particular types of conversations that people think we should be having in the mm. field. Are there any things that you think we could be talking about more or aren't necessarily talking about at all? Hmm. You know, I need to think about that because I feel like one thing that I've really appreciated about the field is that we don't uh, one, we don't take ourselves too seriously for the most part. That's one thing I love about caucus is there is such a celebratory nature, even among the, even among really difficult situations. Yeah. And, and that was evident and is evident every day, I think, in caucus and in the field in general. Take the work seriously, but not ourselves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I think the way people have really risen to, to talk about mental health and destigmatize it and to talk about mental health as something we actually all have mental health yeah. <laughs> and so it's important for every person to be cognizant of their mental health and um, how they seek to maintain wellness is something we should all be consciously dialed into and I really uh, I was I was so impressed by the conversations at caucus and the conversations that I've witnessed on the other side of the border as post-secondary education institutions are grappling with how to move forward with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's recommendation. Mm -hmm. I feel like our American colleagues, our American lawmakers could learn so much from what's taking place to recognize the indigenous identity that is part of Canada 150 and to really push into a better next 150, 150 yeah. years. And I think, that's, I think that's tremendous. And educators are humble people by our sort of very nature. We right. don't tout our, the good stuff we're doing, particularly when that good stuff is around difficult topics. But I think there is so much... To, to celebrate in, in elevating and really engaging what are complicated, difficult conversations. Hmm. All right. I've got some, got some rapid-fire questions for you. Okay. Um, do you have any nicknames? T. T. Um, so I'm not a huge sports fanatic, but one thing I do like is pitchers in baseball. They have a walk-up song. Oh. Is that a thing? I think it is. 
Hmm. If you had to pick, or maybe if you ever, if you had to pick a song that would play every time you entered a room, what would it be? Well, if I'm just going to break out into song, I break out into singing Closer to Fine by the Indigo Girls every time. Amazing. Yeah. Full belt. Yes, and full belt. I sang it last year on the Camino at the top of my lungs. Just echoing. Through. Yeah. No one was around me. I felt completely free. It was great. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I didn't even talk to you about the Camino. Oh, we'll have to do a part two. Um, what was your last Netflix binge, if anything? I don't have Netflix. Okay. A revealing fact. Um, if you were to um, contribute one or two items to a time capsule to reflect where student affairs is at, is at in 2017, what would you throw in there? Wow. That's a hard question. It is a tough one. I'm glad I don't have to answer these. <laughs> Just have to ask them. I don't know. I kind of feel like like an all-access pass. I'm looking at our ginormous name tags here yeah. at Caucus right now, and they feel like VIP all-access passes. And I feel like the field is trying to get all-access to understanding the intersectionality of our identities and how we can do this work in a way that's truly inclusive as opposed to just in-word inclusive. Amazing. Um, is there... Well, actually, you kind of mentioned this before around... Um, is there not a failure but a time where perhaps you have stumbled like I think people might see Trisha Seifert as this fully formed kind of like academic rock star um, is there a a moment that you'd be comfortable sharing where you maybe have tripped or stumbled so when I was an undergrad I, I don't, for the most part had been a good student um, and I think I got either a C minus or a D on a philosophy paper. And I went into the professor, kind of haughty, and I was like, um, I'm sorry, I don't get grades like this. <laughs> I can't believe my audacity. That's amazing. And um, the professor said, um, but you did. And you can learn from this because my hunch is that you have always been successful and you needed a non-success. And this is it. Mm. Um, and then my second last question is, if you came into a bunch of money and decided to donate it to an institution for them to build a building, the Seifert building, what building, what would happen in this building? I would never build a building. Okay. Sorry. No. I just would, I would never build a building because it, it fundamentally goes against what I believe, which is, I was an outdoor educator before I went into this work. It's why I gave up grad school and went back to camp. Okay. I would create funds for people to have experiences and I would fund our educators both in and in the academic units and those that support academic um, departments to really go out and experience and to learn how to learn in different ways that don't require a building. Mm. Um, my last question is, you know, this is a relay. Yes. So Tim passed the baton to you. Who would you like to pass the baton to? Well, it's so funny because I didn't realize how this was going to end and that I'd be talking about outdoor education and experiential education because I had already planned on passing the baton to Wally Rood, who's the vice president of student development at Ambrose University and just finished his PhD that looked at outdoor orientation and outdoor education programs. So... It was meant to be. How about that? 
Well, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. I'm so glad that we're able to have this beautiful view in this beautiful room. Yeah. Thank you so much, Trisha. Thank you. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed it. I just love and respect Trisha so much. I was thrilled to have the reason to sit down and talk with her for this interview. There was so much we didn't even get to. So thank you so much to Tim Fricker for passing the relay on to Trisha. Um, if you want to connect with Trisha on Twitter, her handle is at Trisha Seifert, T-R-I-C-I-A-S-E-I-F-E-R-T. Well, that's it. Episode one of season three. Thank you so much for listening. Special thanks to Adrian Ross, who made the Relay Essay theme music, and John Horvatten, who did our design work. If you have any questions, concerns, critiques, or even suggestions of any students, staff, faculty we should interview, please connect with me on Twitter. My handle is at Adam Cuban. Thank you so much for listening. Bye for now.